0: This episode of the Anvil podcast features discussions around the topic of abuse, particularly within a church context. If you or someone you love has been affected by this topic, please find resources that may help in the description at the bottom of the podcast page. Alternatively, we'll be discussing some books that may be helpful at the end of the podcast.
1: Welcome to the Anvil podcast from Church's Bookshop. That's Andrew. That's Linda. And that's Georgia. And as always, just a reminder that we are just friends having a chat. We don't represent any organization that we're a part of and uh, we don't have any particular expertise in anything. This week we are going to be discussing the mega topic of abuse uh, in the church. I thought this would be an interesting one to look at because obviously we've heard a lot in the news recently about uh, domestic abuse increasing during lockdown. But I've been wondering a little bit whether... Um, the likes of spiritual abuse and abuse within the church, whether people might be getting a bit of shelter from that during this time and whether it might be a good time to process that kind of thing. So first of all, um, should we start by just saying what we mean by abuse in the church? Well, I think
0: people thinking about that, um, the first thing a lot of people think of are the um, sexual abuse scandals within the Catholic Church. Um, But I think it, it can be so much broader than that. I don't think any any particular denomination is unaffected, or any particular form of abuse, I think that there's all forms of abuse you find in the world are also found within a church, so I think in this case we are just looking at when abuse happens in the context of a church
2: yeah, and i think I think the other thing, as well as um sexual abuse that springs to mind often is spiritual abuse, but I would agree with you it's it's so much broader than that. it can be emotional abuse, financial abuse, like you say, really any any form.
1: So in, in recent years there's been a lot of news stories particularly about abuse happening in church settings. Uh, so how much do we personally feel that churches are at a higher risk than other contexts? I think it's fair to say that as a a nation we've become increasingly aware of historical abuse cases in the last few years. So there's been things about uh, abuse within the media and with other other industries um and so church is uh, one part of a a bigger picture in that I think but I think that church is one of those contexts where you will find a lot of quite vulnerable people and therefore that that can make it quite attractive to potential abusers so I suppose it's it's a higher risk in in that sense uh, as with any environment where there would be a lot of at-risk people and, and particularly with the church where um, anybody is welcome regardless of their background um, so I suppose that that does make it a bit of a higher risk in that sense.
0: Yeah I think in some ways our perception of this has been kind of affected by the order in which we started to discover um, and sort of it came into the public knowledge of, that this abuse had gone on in the the first sort of big wave of allegations of of historic sexual abuse that were investigated were particularly the catholic church in in ireland in particular and not at all downplaying that that was a a horrific thing but we're now learning all of the other sections of society wherever there were vulnerable people it seems that there was abuse we've seen it within sports and um youth sports and seen it within boarding schools seen it within show business i think that Yeah, um, the church was the first to be uncovered, but is by no means alone. I don't think, however, that means we can sort of sit back and rest in the law and say, well, this is just, you know, the attention's all pointed here and it's unwarranted. I think it's absolutely warranted because the church has shown to be vulnerable to abuse just by the sheer scale of of the amount of hurt that's been done. Um, You you can go on for, for hours and hours reading story after story, From different churches, different contexts of of horrendous abuse going on. And I think that, yeah, I think the church is a very high risk area just because of its nature as some of a trusting organization, um, an organization where the highest authority is ultimately God, which is great, but also means that that's a higher authority who isn't, you know, you sometimes get people who are, they're only accountable to God. And that means that there's no one actually checking up on them. And I think that's a dangerous situation. But there are other high-risk areas as well. Um, Don't get me wrong. I think the church is neither... Should it be too congratulatory in that oh, we're not too bad, everyone else is awful, but also we shouldn't be too condemnatory because, you know, we we are called to be more.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely don't think abuse is something that happens exclusively in churches. It, it obviously isn't, and I think if the last few years have shown us anything it's that abuse happens in in all areas on a scale far larger than we would really I suppose want to believe almost that it's a lot more prevalent than that it should be and then perhaps people were aware for a very long time but I do think that I feel that the church is probably particularly vulnerable in some ways to becoming a bit of a haven of abuse I think a lot of the language we use around church is about about family and having a church family and being family and that's obviously a real strength of the church it's brilliant when we do church family really really well but I also think that we know from from our understanding of domestic abuse that families are an area in which it's really easy for abuse to happen and I think some of what makes us family in the church can actually give us some of those same vulnerabilities that we can become quite closed and existing behind closed doors if we're not careful that we can have this implicit trust and assumption of of goodness about people within our our churches because we consider them our brothers and sisters, um, so we're not willing to believe accusations or to to hear victim stories.
0: No, I think that um, yeah, you know, that that definitely carries through. We, we view church as a family, but that can sometimes hinder us in in revealing the truth where where something unsavoury is happening, and that happens both within congregations and with leaders, but also as someone who has been employed by, by several different churches, workplace abuse within the church is actually a really difficult topic because within a church you've got the, the boss, as it were, who's the, the minister, vicar, pastor, whatever, is, um, has a moral authority that your boss in a bank doesn't have. And I think that, mm. that can also create problems in, in this area.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think uh, a danger when we talk about this stuff is that it is easy to um, kind of panic and think, oh, no, churches are unsafe and um, it's all yeah rife with abuse. Um, but it is important to remember that what we're talking about is a, a small number of people in a small number of churches um, who ruin it for the rest. So I guess thinking about that, given that we know abuse does happen within the church, what factors make the church particularly vulnerable to abuse and what would be its strong points?
0: I think it is incredibly vulnerable in particular because of its, um, again, the moral authority that I mentioned before. You know, the the church has a a sort of a place within society, or at least traditionally has, where, you know, someone you're going to trust you know you're going to trust the priest or the vicar in the same way you trust the policeman or you trust a fireman you know that they they're kind of in the same breath or, or a doctor and actually in all of those cases in say um emergency services um, in medicine and in in the um the priesthood we see cases where people who want to hurt other people are drawn to that power and respect who have um in america cases of police shootings of, of african americans that's massive and that i think is part of the same phenomena the same as we see with doctors you, you get doctors who um and again it's rare but you get doctors who um who might kill or hurt their patients or try and control them in some way um the fact that one of the most prolific serial killers in in history is harold chipman who was a doctor i think any place that has that kind of status has an inherent vulnerability in that something it has to be aware of that said i think that is breaking down a bit in some places where where the the scandals that have come out has actually made slightly the whole reassess how how members of the clergy are viewed and that is in some ways a, a really sad loss that that loss of trust in the other ways if it protects people then that's good and equally if the church has not done anything to deserve that respect then then probably it's good that we don't have it but we should definitely want to deserve it
2: yeah i think i would say that one of the things that's both a strength of the church and the massive vulnerability is that we're one of the the very few places in society really where we actually have a a duty i suppose to to welcome and to be a, a welcoming and a safe space for both victims and perpetrators of abuse that Everyone should be welcome in our churches. That As Christians, we believe no one is beyond the grace of God. No one, you can't do something that is so, so awful that you get closed out of God's family. And we also, you know, obviously we believe in, in forgiveness and in second chances and in the basic sort of humanity of people, I suppose. And, and giving them, them dignity and love and respect and family and all of that, regardless of what they may have done in the past. Um, I, I think that's a, a really special, amazing thing about the church, but it's also obviously can be a very difficult thing to manage. Particularly if in one congregation you maybe have someone who's perpetrated abuse about someone else against someone else in that congregation, and how you kind of manage that and make sure that it's it's safe for the victim without being excluding to the perpetrator. I I think as well something that that's an element with churches is is the the fact that spiritual abuse can sit alongside other forms of abuse in a way it doesn't in many other contexts. And obviously that ability to to call in the higher power and to to claim something's coming from God or you have to do something because God said so or to maybe use God as a like a fear element to control people, potentially alongside other forms of abuse, um, is just an element you don't find in many other many other contexts.
1: Yeah, and that's definitely something that I've seen a lot of Where where the name of God is used to invoke an unhealthy fear, yeah, I I definitely would say that as a result of some of the experiences that I've had in church, often if you were to say the words uh, Jesus is coming again, it would invoke a a feeling of panic initially rather than excitement, and then I have to really talk to myself and go no wait this is a good thing i love jesus i know him um he's on my i'm on his side um i guess because uh just there's this whole um reinforcement of the message of well, we're not ready we're not good enough um and and that's a a message that can be spread in in churches if if they focus more on you know mankind's fall uh, and Emphasize too heavily that we're bad, bad people, um, rather than that we are created in, in the image of God and we're chosen, and He's redeemed us. Uh, then that can that can be quite damaging um, and and abusive, taken to the extreme. And that's definitely something that I've seen a lot of. Um, and also, I really uh, resonated with what Andrew was saying there about. Um, the the all-powerful leader who's only accountable to God because I mean I've seen a lot of that as well where where somebody who actually um, is not only the pastor but is also the youth leader the worship leader you know everything within the church and it becomes very much about that person um, and rather than Uh, about God and and they can easily come to represent God in in people's minds and so uh, if they really hurt you then I would see that that is a a form of spiritual abuse uh, because they've they've taken on this position of representing God to you Um, and then it it changes how you view God which is just the most heartbreaking thing really because because that that it's then so hard to hard to come back from when you have this association of God being the one that hurt you even though it's it's not really true but yeah it can be true to people who've experienced that.
0: Yeah I think a a couple of times we've mentioned that um, there can be an issue with churches where too much power is invested in in one individual but I think we also have to be aware that Our church systems and our particular church don't make us invulnerable. So um, even within, say, the Catholic Church, that has a hierarchy that is is massive. Um, There was a lot of accountability, but that broke down massively and appallingly all over the world, repeatedly. In the same way, I'm going to talk about a documentary I've been watching. There's a a documentary George and I watched recently about... um, this This man who was uh training for the priesthood in the c of e and he ended up um he actually um is now being convicted of murder of an old woman he'd taken an old man he was taken to see him, and he was suspected of murdering another woman attempting attempting murder, to murder. I think in that case. um i don't want to get us into legal trouble here <laughs> so um and what's interesting about that is that the, this sort of facade of this lovely young man who's Coming to, to sort of um, you know, coming into the church, is quickly breaks down to reveal a, a deeply manipulative abuser inside. But particularly in the point where he was um, being accepted into into the training to to become a priest, the, he had a psychological evaluation that they said, "Oh, he seems charming, he's lovely." And at the bottom, he says, "But I do think he's a psychopath." And that's a sign for me of something breaking down where that wasn't enough for someone to pull on the brakes and go, hold on, maybe we need to be more cautious here. Uh, Not to condemn the church. I mean, you can't predict that in all situations, nor was this a formal diagnosis, but I think it could have, systems need to work. And in this case, I think it didn't because it didn't catch him soon enough. Not to say that if they had caught him, that he wouldn't have gone on to, to kill in another context
2: i think what you were saying there about the the breakdown of systems where there is accountability goes back a bit to what we were talking about earlier and the fact that we want to believe that that because someone's a christian that they're trustworthy we want to see them as our as our family as our brother or our sister and trust them implicitly and actually you know when it comes to safeguarding matters it's so important that we don't do that that we we ask the same questions we'd ask of anyone else and that we remember that that christianity is a club of sinners not a good of, not a club of holy people and we're all flawed and that doesn't mean that any of us are necessarily worse or better than others or you know anyone's beyond god's love but that we we know we're sinners that's why we're christians and some of us may be sinful in, in ways that could be damaging to other people and we need to be really really mindful of that but i do think i mean you know going on to some of the strong points of the church there are certainly cases where we, we saw abuse scandals coming out that were, were handled really badly or have been handled really badly historically. Um, but I think we have seen some really positive movements from the church in recent years as well. Um, I've been really impressed with the kind of lead in some places that the church has taken on safeguarding. I think really in response to this growing awareness of historic kind of sex abuse and things within the church, we've really started to move in that direction. And you know now we we all do youth work in different contexts and I think we've all been on more safeguarding courses than we'd want to think about but that's such a positive thing on a more sort of professional personal level for Andrew and I it we had a situation where um John Vanier who was very very well regarded in the Christian community for years and we've been selling many many of his books through the bookshop it came out well his he founded the Liachi community, which is a community for people with disabilities, and he was really well thought of for the work he'd done with the disabled community. Um, and it came out and really shocked people that he had actually been using his position to, to abuse people who were also working, working in those communities below him. And a lot of that was, I think, the spiritual and sexual abuse kind of all rolled into one, really, that was going on. Um, and obviously that's that's really sad and really challenging, but I was incredibly impressed by the way that the Archie as an organisation handled it, how upfront they were, how much effort they put into investigating it and making sure that no stone was left unturned. And, and once they found out it happened once, they went to the effort of trying to go, how has this happened more times? And who do we need to tell and who do we need to be accountable to? How do we make ourselves accountable? And they got an outside organisations to investigate. And um, I do feel like we've learned some lessons um, Obviously, we need to, you know, find ways to stop this happening in the first place. But I think there's been a few times recently where where we've we've seen an improvement both in the preventative techniques, but also in the handling of historic cases that suddenly have
0: happened. Absolutely, and to pick up on the Arche case, I was so impressed because it was um, this all sort of they put uh, out a, um, a statement detailing the findings of the investigation. And this was after he had died. And so it could have been quite easily brushed under the carpet, but they didn't. And actually, it started with um, someone who'd been his mentor, uh, a Catholic priest, had um, had been had allegations made against him, and because he was a mentor to to Jean Vanier, the started an investigation. Then, while while Jean Vanier was still alive, and asked him questions, and basically, the, once there was a, a sense of might be something off here they were willing to follow it even though this is against their founder who was beloved across the the Christian world. I think if this hadn't come out he would have been made a saint um, within the Catholic Church. I've been particularly impressed by the publishers who published his books particularly SPCK and uh, DLT um, because as booksellers our first reaction um, for us personally was to remove his books from sale because until everything became clear we didn't want to risk propagating unsafe practices um, as that that may have made others vulnerable to abuse, and equally, we don't we don't want to sort of glorify someone by having their book on our shelves as an example of something you should read, if they are not not living up to to what they profess, and they may have hurt people who may come into our shop for all we know. But the publishers, the fact that they withdrew the books often of their own accord, um, and are accepting returns, so we can just send them back, and. You know that the publisher's taken the the financial hit for that and that is a really um a real move of integrity i think so i really want to say that i thought that was really well done um and this came there was there was another um scandal shortly before that i'm not going to go into in in detail but where actually the books um were about a leadership style that that resulted in alleged abuse
2: and i think it was a leadership style that they after the abuse came out that they kind of realized that this leadership style that had been very strongly promoted was actually very particularly vulnerable to allowing abuse to kind of happen.
0: Yeah and so the fact that again this was dealt with um, I I think we can be a a little bit proud of the church now that in general we're getting better and we're starting to do some really taking the lead a bit in in tackling abuse where we see it um, because we cannot catch every abuser before they hurt someone unfortunately because we're human but how we make up for that and how we make the victims whole or as whole as we can again as a church that's important and i think we're starting to understand how to do that
1: yeah i think uh, another thing that those cases particularly highlight to me is is the way that people with abusive tendencies find ways to be in situations where they are with vulnerable people and i think that that is something that that we do see in the church i mean um a while ago uh when i was having some therapy to help me through a, a difficult time um i mentioned something that had happened with a, a pastor and uh my therapist said oh that's very interesting and reflected back to me that Something that he had said was indicative of a narcissistic personality disorder or personality type um, and and she kind of really highlighted to me that um, just as we hear about these different career paths that are are quite attractive to narcissists, one of them be, being any kind of management position, I think there's something very attractive about being a church leader where you um, have that authority. Over so many people, and can almost take that the position of God towards them. Um, and I think another factor that makes churches quite vulnerable as well is how all-consuming they can become. Um, sometimes when we're really involved in a church, and and it is like you say, like family, and um, it's something that we love and are really driven towards and feel very passionately about and we find all different ways to serve and there's house groups and there's sunday morning meetings and there's sometimes sunday evening meetings and midweek meetings and youth groups and all of these kind of things um and it can very easily become your whole world and i think that being surrounded by something um just makes its influence very big in your life. Um, And and that can be a vulnerability. But also, I think that that has huge potential for healing. I think somebody coming into the church who has maybe been abused in the past, if if that is a really positive, nurturing environment, then being surrounded uh, by a community of loving people who are feeding positive things into them, then I think there's uh, an incredible power for healing from abuse there as well. Um, so I guess with that being the ideal scenario how how do we create safe spaces as Christians
2: I think that um, I mean I think I really agree with what you were saying there and I think that the idea of church being family like all families it can be a functional or a dysfunctional family and that's kind of up to us as individual Christians to figure out how do we we make this family work I suppose and do we make it a positive or a negative thing and it it can be a real strength of the church and it can definitely be the something that makes it a place of healing and a place of welcome and some something a place where someone who has been really broken and hurt can go and feel safe and feel welcome and feel loved and feel able to be broken and still be accepted not like they have to put up all these kind of walls and and act like they're coping better than they really are I also think that going back to what I was saying about about that the cases of the bookshop and what with authors that we've we've withdrawn from sale I think we made it a decision to withdraw those authors from sale because we not just because we didn't want to propagate their ideas if they were potentially relevant to the abuse but more than that because we didn't want anyone coming into the shop and who was maybe a victim not necessarily even a victim of that particular abuser but a victim of abuse generally and feeling like we were saying that in in any way giving any kind of time to someone who would who would have done something like that and sort of in any way acknowledging or accepting their behavior but I think something that those those situations made me really dwell on is how far beyond that our responsibility goes as Christian booksellers because I think we we know that abuse often goes unreported because victims don't feel Empowered or safe or able to come forward and they're afraid they won't be believed and that that happens even more in context where The abuser is someone who is really highly respected in a community um, is really lauded and to some extent we can contribute to that Respect and acclamation within the Christian community that certain authors get When we stock books based on who's written them not what they're about and that's really tempting to do because obviously you know people are more likely to buy books by authors that they recognise that they they respect the person who's written it um, but in doing so we're, we're helping to contribute to kind of a bit of a Christian celebrity kind of craze and I sort of don't feel like we should have Christian celebrities anyway surely the whole point is we're all kind of equally valid and loved and accepted within the church but I, I also think that I mean obviously not all of those people in that position are, are bad people or abusers but some of them almost inevitably will be because we know that that those roles can be very attractive to people who who want to harm others um it made me very conscious of every time we choose to stock a book because it's a trusted author or a well-known author within the christian community we're adding to that author's credence and if they were an abuser we're adding to the the difficulty of of a victim reporting and speaking out and being believed i suppose
0: yeah, I think it, it's a really difficult line to tread. Obviously, we're, we're talking from a very specific context as Christian booksellers. And I, I'm going to assume that most of our listeners aren't Christian booksellers because there aren't that many Christian bookshops. Great if there were. But I think that with it, within our context, it, it's a, de- de- a delicate balance to strike. You know, if uh, John Ortberg or um, Max Alcardo release a book, we get after it anyway. We may, we're going to stock it. But at the same time, and I'm not making any suggestion about those people in particular, they're just two well-known authors who I think from everything I've read of them seem to be men of integrity, men of a deep spiritual knowledge and a strong faith. Um, but I don't know the workings of their hearts. I don't know what happens in the dark of any of our authors. And I think being willing to be proactive in dealing with abuse is one of the ways that we can create a safe space. We can um make sure that someone coming in knows that yeah there may be times when we find out that someone we've had stopped has done some awful things but that we're going to remove it because um not because that book is about abuse or because that book will allow abuse but because that it's a privileged position to be able to publish something to be read by christians around the world and a privilege that i i personally feel should be taken away If you are not, not in always obviously we make mistakes, but if you have shown a consistent disregard um, for for the the teachings you profess to believe and consistently have hurt other people with no repentance, no turning around um, at any point, then 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 no, I don't think you should have that privilege.
2: I think as well I mean we are talking about a very specific context here but I, I think it applies more widely than that, that that all of us as Christians have a part to play in deciding what, what our churches look like what the Christian family looks like um, and you know maybe we all need to reflect on are we putting certain people on pulpits where they, they are so praised and so valued that they can't be criticised and questions can't be asked and people are afraid to raise issues Um, because we would want to believe that abusers are obvious monsters that we would all recognise and we'd know, but the reality is that that's that's not how it works, that people who who are abusive tend to be very charming. They tend to hide in plain sight and look like everyone else and behave like everyone else um, in, in most situations. And I certainly don't think we need to be suspicious of all Christians and of all Christians in common positions, but we need to be generally aware that we can't, we can't just blindly assume the best of everyone or at least we can need to simultaneously assume the best of everyone and acknowledge that not everyone will be safe and you know maybe part of that is is stepping away from having a culture within Christianity where, where certain Christians are elevated to to kind of holy levels I suppose.
1: Yeah I think when we talk about creating safe spaces um, in a church context I think the the obvious rules are you know, read your safeguarding policy, do what it says, all of that um but I think even even beyond that, I think we can all be on the um active in the in the fight against uh, abuse by um the way that we listen when people confide something in us and being being there as a presence and being able to report that to the right people um and so I think yeah being a a good listener and yeah inspiring people's confidence um is, is a really good starting point I think for me one thing that I've noticed is people open up to me a lot more when I don't seem shocked by what they say and um, sometimes I think we can be coming from a really good place when uh, somebody tells you a little bit of something and you go that's awful and kind of like respond emotionally in support of them Um, but I've noticed that the more things I've heard uh, and the thicker skin I've got uh, and the better poker face I can keep and and just um, listen and not not seem like I'm digging information out of them but just be there and and I I find that when I do that people will often share a bit more of what's going on with me Um, and then I think that whenever that happens we do have a responsibility with what we do with that information so not not gossiping not spreading it around but going to the right person like looking in that safeguarding policy find out who is the right person and make sure they and only they know what's happened as detailed as possible using the the person's own words wherever possible and just uh, making sure that that gets passed to the right people because you know every every disclosure everything that you might notice where somebody might be seeming like they're vulnerable or like something might be going on everything is like a little piece in a jigsaw puzzle that we know from case studies when pieced together that can often be the thing that eventually rescues somebody out of a dangerous situation so I think yeah everybody being on the on the team to get rid of abuse and and be looking out for signs of it is is definitely a good thing
2: yeah I think you're so right about that I think you know again be, being the best version of family and caring about each other and looking out for each other and being aware of you know, someone's behaviour has changed or or someone, you know, is acting in a different way, whatever it might be that triggers it, but just, just paying attention and caring and then being a safe person for that person to talk to. Um, I think also being a non-judgmental person for that person to talk to can be so important. Um, ages ago when we did our mental health episode, we talked about how often you know if you're talking to someone at church or actually anyone about your mental health issues that they can sometimes respond with a bit of a you feel like they've got an assumption that if they were in that situation they'd do better Um, I think that's a really common feeling for people to have whenever they haven't been through something Um, and some of that's probably a safety thing we want to believe we'd do better because we it would be scary to think we wouldn't but I, I think we see that a lot in abuse as well you know when talking about domestic abuse so often you hear people asking things like well why didn't they just leave um and it's not always possible to fully understand things that you haven't experienced yourself but to to approach someone in a really godly loving way and a really non-judgmental way and just hear them and don't don't ask questions like that ask questions like how can I help not like why don't you just do this and let let that person express to you what they need don't tell them what they need to do I suppose
0: yeah I guess what these sort of points all kind of boil down to is good safeguarding policy is really important and I think the church has come a long way in the last sort of I guess decade or so from a time when you know the youth leader could le- load all the kids up into a, a rusty old minibus on their own and drive them off for a weekend to a point now where you know actually there are a very clear guidelines on on just about every activity and you do sometimes hear a lot of pushback from, from members of congregations that I mean, we're meant to trust each other or you know why are we assuming everyone's a criminal and it's not about that it's about saying we believe everyone in front every individual is good we also know that there are some people who are not and although we can't point at an individual and say you're the unsafe one because of that we have to apply a blanket level of protection so yeah you're going to be dbs checked you know what it's worth it if it saves someone i think there's an interesting parallel to the precautions we're taking with COVID-19. You know, we, the fact was that, you know, if I go out and about and I'm not a carrier, I'm not a risk to anyone, but we don't know who the carriers are. Therefore everyone took precautions. That's how safeguarding is. It's pre- you, everyone acting to protect against the minority. And I think we need to get into a, a mindset of we're, with safeguarding, where it's not something that the, the minister does or the safeguarding point person does or the youth worker does. It's something the church does because we care about the vulnerable in our congregations and we care about protecting everyone, even if it costs us a little bit of convenience. You know, Even if it would be easier if at the end of youth group we could give the lift home to that young person whose parents is always, are always running late. Actually, no, we're going to stay that extra, you know, two leaders are going to have to stay with them for that extra 20 minutes or 10 minutes or whatever. Till the parent gets there because that protects them for the one time when there is someone who's who's not safe. And I think when we look at the damage that abuse can do, I think it's it's well worth the cost.
1: Yeah, and I think that it's as much for potential abusers as well. Um, if they are and you know, we can only hope that if they're in our churches then they are there because they are committed to their own discipleship and they want to live their best life and so why would we want to be putting them in situations that's making them vulnerable to those temptations or to slipping back into old habits i think that it's not necessarily assuming a position of guilt on their part but if we know somebody has struggled with something in the past then those safeguarding policies are there to prevent us putting them into that situation um as well as well as protecting potential victims
0: I guess you could equate to, you know, the Methodist church doesn't have alcoholic wine at communion and never have alcohol on the premises. That's not because we think all Methodists are secret alcoholics. We're not. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's because for that one person who is an alcoholic, why put them in that place of temptation where they are either going to make a difficult decision to exclude themselves from church life in order to avoid that temptation, or they're going to be in a position where they're going to be facing extreme temptation in order to take part. Well, church is meant to be safe for everyone and that does include perpetrators of abuse if someone is a perpetrator of abuse we have to make sure they cannot abuse the victims have to be our first priority but we should also make sure that we can create a space where a perpetrator can be part of our community Um, particularly a former perpetrator can be part of our community safely as safely as possible for them and for any potential victims i don't think if we only do one I don't think we create the level of safety that we need.
1: Yeah. And once again, I think we've uh, managed to successfully put the world to rights uh, through this discussion. Andrew, do you want to tell us about what we're doing next week?
0: Yes. um, Next week, we're going to be, uh, I guess, a little bit continuing this discussion around abuse in the church. We're going to be reviewing a fantastic book, which is called The Man Who Broke Into St. Peter's. And it's a, a really good story about how um, a church facing its past facing abuse that has, that has been covered up within a church and coming to terms with that and facing the victim many years later and doing what they can to make it make it right as best they can
2: it's by chick Yule,
0: um, and it is published by instant Bottle. <laughs> so yes we'll be reviewing that book next week if you want to get yourself a copy then uh, find out which of your nearest Christian bookshops are still delivering. Many bookshops are. Um, there's a great resource on the Sacristy Press website, um, Google Sacristy Press. They're a great Christian publisher. They've got a list of independent Christian bookshops which are delivering. So if you you go on there, you can find the closest one to you and contact them. Um, alternatively, if you cannot find any um, for whatever reason do contact Church's Bookshop on the Isle of Man, uh, you find links to our website and our Facebook page in the description, um, and we will happily ship it to you anywhere, anywhere really, um, maybe not out of space, but we haven't had any requests from there yet, um, but please do support your local Christian bookshops in this time, and um, we really do recommend this book.
2: Yes, and um, the book as Andrew says, it's a fiction book, and um, it's really brilliant, I'm really looking forward to reviewing it, but it's probably not where we'd signpost you to if this is something that you've actually struggled with, that you want help with, or something that you want to educate yourself about and learn about on a factual basis. Um, so if if that's you, and you're looking for something more kind of factual to to help you, to help someone you know, or just to educate yourself. Um, there's a lot of really good resources out there, both Christian and otherwise. Um, but i particularly point you to, there's a wonderful book called Escaping the Maze of Spiritual Abuse, Creating Healthy Christian Cultures, which is by Dr Lisa Oakley and Justin Humphreys, which is published by SPCK. And then there's a whole series of books called Hope for the Heart series by June Hunt, which is, they're all published by Hendrickson Rose Publishing, and that series they're just they're really quite small easy to read little books and they cover everything all kinds of issues around mental health and self-help and anything like that as well as abuse stuff but there's there's one on spiritual abuse there's one on manipulation there's one on emotional and verbal abuse there's one on sexual abuse I think there's one on financial abuse basically it covers pretty much any element you've would want to look at in all these bite-sized chunks and they're really really good and a valuable resource as well and again we just really encourage you to go to your local Christian bookshop or if you don't have a local Christian bookshop or it's not delivering currently contact us.
0: Absolutely and we're also going to be uh, leaving some resources from charities in the description that might be able to help you if you're in that situation and please know if this is something that has affected you our, our thoughts are all with you that we hope that um, you've been able to find support within the church um, and and positive experiences. And we hope that this discussion has been helpful in seeing where the church can go. Uh, For this week, though, that is it for The Anvil. You can find us online on social media or at facebook.com forward slash The Anvil or through the Church's Bookshop website, churchesbookshop.im. Scroll down to click the link for The Anvil podcast. And you can subscribe to us on Acast, on iTunes, on Google um, Podcasts and various other places. So we hope you have found, found today interesting and helpful. And we hope that you might think of joining us again in the future. For now, though, that's Linda. That's Georgia. And
2: that's Andrew.
0: And we've been the Anvil Podcast and Churches Bookshop. And we'll see you next week. Bye.
2: Bye.